We are glad you are listening to this audio recording produced by Cross Point Presbyterian Church in Park City, Utah. For more information regarding the ministries of Cross Point Presbyterian Church, please visit us online at www.crosspointpca.org. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Turn to John chapter 8. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to look around. There's a pew Bible in the seat next to you or maybe in the seat that you are sitting in right now. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 8. And as you're doing that, let me just kind of remind you where we're at. We're looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus that are found in John's gospel. Last week was our first sermon in this series. And in John chapter 6, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, he says... I am the bread of life. Now this morning we're going to look at John chapter 8, which is the second of the I am statements recorded for us by John. And so if you would, would you please stand as we pray and read God's word this morning. Dear Lord, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12, we read, Now again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury As he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me invite you to be seated. Now, if you and I are truly going to know Jesus, and I'm not simply talking about just knowing a few things about Jesus. I'm talking about the kind of knowledge that would make a man like William Tiptap, who was born in 1803, write the following words. If you had a thousand crowns, you should put them all on the head of Christ. And if you had a thousand tongues, they should all sing his praise, for he is worthy. Now those aren't the words of a man who just knows a few nice things about Jesus. Those are the words of a man who's had his whole world, his whole life, his everything changed by the knowledge of who and what Jesus is. And that's my prayer. That as we go through these uh, seven I am statements is that we would really see Jesus. I mean, really see him and understand who he is and why he's come. That we would see him in all of his beauty and all of his glory. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, And that we all, with unveiled unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. The Apostle Paul says that when you and I, when we see Jesus, something happens. Something incredible takes place. Our lives are transformed. Like William Tiptap, our lives are forever changed. 
So that's what we're going here, going for here at CPC. We want to be a church where lives are being transformed, where Jesus is really changing people. We want to be a family of missionary servants who are individually growing in our love for God. We also want to be a place where people are hearing the gospel and then they're committing themselves in faith to Jesus and then we disciple them, helping them grow in their love for God as well. When people talk about our church, I hope the things they say will be these kinds of things. That church and those people, they love Jesus. They love God's Word. They love Park City. And even though I don't believe like they do, they love me. So that's where we're going for as a church. That's what we're praying for, is that God would be changing the lives of people. The way He changes people is they see Jesus and then they're never the same. So as we go through these I am statements, we're trying to understand who Jesus is. And if we're going to understand who Jesus is and what he's teaching about, what his mission is, then we have to understand the story of the Old Testament. Jesus' ministry, his life, his teachings, they don't occur in a vacuum. But they're very much a part of the story of redemption that God has been writing since the beginning of time. If you go back and you look at the Old Testament, you see a God who makes a covenant with the nation of Israel. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I'll be with you and I'll provide. I'll protect you. And so as you see the story of Israel unfold, you see certain things. And those things appear in the life and the ministry of Jesus as well. Christopher Wright, who's an author, he wrote a book called Knowing Jesus the Old Testament. And his goal was to kind of help me and you, modern day Christians, understand and make the connection between the Old Testament nation of Israel and the Messiahship of Jesus. This is what he says. He says, Jesus did not come to teach people new ideas about some new moral philosophy, which he called the kingdom of God. But rather, he becomes the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. He goes on to show how Jesus not only fulfills the promises of the Old Testament, but he begins to then apply its philosophies for himself. It's in the Old Testament that Jesus finds his identity, his purpose, and his values. So if we're going to understand, if we're going to really see Jesus, we have to do it in context. So I'll give you an example. So there are some significant events that take place in Israel's wilderness wandering. The story of the nation of Israel in the book of Exodus is that they're, they're, they're slaves in Egypt. And they cry out to God. And so God hears his people's cry. He delivers them to the person of Moses. And as they leave Egypt, God does some specific things for them. In their journey and then in the 40 years of wilderness wandering that takes place. Those things have correlations in the life of Jesus. Remember last week we said that each one of these I am statements represents a particular aspect of Jesus' ministry to and or on behalf of the needs of his people. So in John 6, where we were last week, we see that Jesus is the manna that comes from heaven. God provided for his people in the wilderness and that he gave them manna to eat and to feed on. Jesus says, I'm the bread of heaven that comes. If you read John 7, what you'll see here in this passage is that Jesus, on the last day of the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, and this was just a big celebration in which God's people were remembering how he had delivered them from Egypt and how he had been faithful to them in the wilderness. So they had this great big celebration, 
So at the end of the Feast of Booth, Jesus stands up, and this is what he says. He says in verse 37 and verse 38, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so John is showing us that Jesus is like the rock in the wilderness where Moses strikes the rock and God provides water for his people. Jesus quenches our thirst. And now this morning in John chapter 8, what we see is that Jesus is like the pillar of fire in the wilderness. He provides protection and guidance by his presence with us. God the Father in Jesus is doing something for his people's every need. Even when you and I are traveling through what feels like a barren wilderness on our way to the promised land. He's the manna from heaven. He's the, rock, he's the water from the rock. And today in our passage we see he's the light from above. Notice what Jesus says first. He says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Now to understand exactly what it is that he's saying, you have to recognize that this is taking place either right at the end or just after this Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they did certain things. They had, it was kind of a big ceremonial production. And one of the ceremonies that they performed is they would light four huge menorahs or candelabras. They would light these four huge torches in the court of the women in the temple. And so this was a celebration that in the wilderness wanderings, God had been a pillar of fire and he had been a cloud by day to protect and to guide Israel in the desert. So when Israel gets ready to leave Egypt, God appears in this cloud. As they go out, as Pharaoh's army is approaching upon them and they're about to cross the Red Sea, that cloud functions in a protective way and serves as a wall to keep them separated from Pharaoh's army who's coming to attack. Then it goes with them in the wilderness. It was a visible sign, a visible sign that God's presence, his favor, and his power was with his people. Now think about it. How many of you are familiar with the torchlight parades that take place every year at the ski resorts? I think one happens at Park City Mountain Resort close to uh, maybe even on Christmas Eve. I can't remember. And then Deer Valley, I think. Does anybody here not know what the torchlight parade is? Okay, so the torchlight parade is a bunch of ski instructors. They go to the top of the mountain and they have like big LED lights and then they ski down the mountain and they make this design back and forth. And so you see these torches just go back and forth and back and forth. Now imagine, imagine in your life, if every time you really begin to question the goodness of God, every time you really begin to doubt, well, is God really with me? Is God's favor upon me? Is, is his power at work in my life? Imagine if every time you had those doubts, those kinds of questions, you looked up in the mountain and you saw the torchlight parade coming down. And it was just a visible sign that God is a God who's committed himself to you. And it comforted your heart. That's what this cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It was this visible thing that they could look at and they say, Yahweh is with us. Jesus is saying, he's saying, I am the light of the world. He's saying, I am God and I'll be with my people. The psalmist says this. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. During Advent, we read a real famous passage from the prophet Isaiah in which we read, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. I will provide light and, he goes on to say, life to my people so they no longer walk in darkness. So Jesus is claiming to be the light of the world. 
He's not just claiming to have the light or to know where the light is, but he's claiming to be the source of that light. So what does he mean by that? Well, I think it's a couple of different things. It means he's come to show or to teach or to reveal to us the truth about what God is really like. He's coming to show us what God is really like. Jesus doesn't want his people to be in the dark about God the Father. You understand what that phrase means? You know, it, re- it means that we're just withholding certain information from people. So a teenager is driving the car and they get in an accident. It's a small fender bender, let's say. So they go home and they're worried about what dad's going to say. And so the mom and the teenager say, well, we don't have to tell your dad about that. We'll just keep him in the dark about your little accident. They're withholding certain information. They're keeping him in the dark. But Jesus does not want his people to be in the dark. So he comes as the light of the world so that you and I can truly know what God is like. Look at verse 19. The Pharisees say to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. What he's saying is if we really want to know God, then we just simply look to Jesus. He's the one that reveals to us what God is really like. That's why Paul in Colossians chapter 1 says that he's the image of the invisible God. In writing to the church, he says that he's a paradox. He's this image of an invisible God. Think about that. What if you went to an art gallery on Main Street and there they had a a large uh, framed portrait on the wall and they said, uh, you know, the image of the invisible mountain. It was just blank. And then the price tag said $37,000 and you know, you were like, well, I don't see it. And that's like, exactly. It's the image of the invisible mountain. But Jesus comes to show us the God that we can't comprehend or begin to see. This Friday, uh, Hudson was watching a movie in the living room. I was washing dishes in the kitchen. And I overheard, uh, he was watching Monsters vs. Aliens. So if you've never seen that, it's a story about an alien invasion here on Earth. And these monsters that have been captured and they're being kept in Area 50-something uh, are kind of uh, humanity's last hope. And so some of these monsters are the Missing Link, Dr. Cockroach, and Bob. And Bob is just kind of like this gelatinous uh, goo. Uh, But he's got... (laughs) 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 But he has a big heart. And and so so I'm watching dishes. He's watching this movie. And I overhear this following uh, uh, dialogue. The Missing Link says... No monster has ever gotten out of here talking about this kind of fortified, secure location. And Bob goes, that's not true. The invisible man did. And uh, the missing link responds. He says, no, he didn't. We just told you that so you wouldn't get upset. Dr. Cockroach then says he died of a heart attack 25 years ago. And Bob's like, no. And then the missing link says, yeah, in that very chair. And he's still there. And you can only do that because he's invisible and you can't see him. Paul says Jesus is the image of that which we can't see. The God we can't fathom, the God we can't comprehend, the God who commands us not to try to make an image of him. He comes to us in the person of Jesus, in flesh, in very real and tangible ways. He comes in a way that we can see. That's why Hebrews chapter 1 says he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact image imprint of his nature. And John, when he starts his gospel in chapter 1, says this about him. And the word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace 
and truth. Now, these passages are not saying that Jesus is the Father. The Bible teaches that God exists as one God in three persons. We refer to this as the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But Jesus is saying, and other passages are saying, that Jesus is so identified with the Father that the only way you and I can begin to understand what God is really like is by looking at Jesus. The Father is incomprehensible to us. 1 Timothy says he dwells in unapproachable light. No man can see him, nor has any man ever seen him. But the Father is revealed through Jesus in a very unique way, through the things he says and through the things he does. Jesus represents the Father. So when Jesus speaks, it's as if the Father has spoken. And so Jesus wants us to know what God is like. So he comes as the light of the world so that you and I would not be in the dark. But not only does God, I mean, not only does Jesus reveal the truth about God the Father, but he reveals the truth about ourselves. Blaise Pascal wrote, not only do we not know God except through Jesus, but we don't even know ourselves except through Jesus Christ. So Jesus teaches us the truth about God, but he also teaches us the truth about ourselves. If you're paying attention, the first song that we sang this morning was Here I Am to Worship. And the first line of that song begins like this. Light of the world, which is exactly what Jesus has just said here, you stepped down into darkness. And that's what the incarnation is. This darkness is where we live. Darkness is our reality. Darkness is where Jesus enters into, into our darkness. But now the light of the world has come. And he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So that means we have a choice. If we don't follow him, we remain in darkness. There's two options for every single one of us. For every single human being. We'll either follow the light of the world and we'll have the light of life or we'll continue in darkness. We can choose to trust Jesus and follow him or we can choose to remain in the dark. So where is that darkness? Well, it's in the world, but it's also in our hearts. It's in the world, but it's also in us. Now, we don't like to admit that, but that's the truth. The truth is that we are a place where that darkness resides. Prophet Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's who we were. And the Bible says that Jesus, the light of the world, came and he rescued his people out of the kingdom of darkness. And he brought us into the kingdom of his marvelous light. So we live in darkness without the light of Jesus. You and I cannot see or perceive anything properly. Jesus is the light. And if he's not your light, then you will be always in the darkness. You'll never understand yourself properly. You won't understand the people around you properly. You'll never understand God properly. You won't be able to comprehend what it is that you really need until that light begins to shine on and in your life. When you're in the dark, there's only one thing that you need. And that's light. And Jesus says, I've come to bring that light and that light is the source of life for men. And notice how this passage shifts, kind of takes a, a little bit of a, a, a detour. It goes into this discussion with the Pharisees about the testimony of Jesus being true or false. And so the idea is that they're basing their rejection of Jesus on the fact that he's testifying about himself. They don't want to believe Jesus is who he says he is. 
So they come up with a reason to reject his claim. We do this all the time. We don't want to accept the truth and the claim and the authority of Jesus over our life, so we make excuses. We come up with what we believe are good reasons to reject the truth. See, the problem is that we don't have enough reasons to believe. It's the problem is we don't want to believe. And so we come up with all of these clever responses to soothe our guilty conscience. Like the Pharisees, these rejections are always weak. And in a sense, they become an object lesson for us about walking in light and walking in darkness. It seems like kind of a detour, but what we see here in this conversation is that they're actually really proving the point. Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. I come to reveal the Father. And like, where is your Father? Show us your Father. And he's showing us that they're in the dark, and so they don't understand who God really is. Seven times in this passage, I believe, Jesus points to the fact that he is from the Father, that he speaks on the authority of the Father, that he will return to the Father, and that he does nothing on his own but that what the Father has shown him. He's not saying that my authority is coming from, you know, some council that's anointed me. No, my father, I mean, my authority comes from my father himself. And the Pharisees, because they're in the dark, fail to recognize the truth of what it is he's saying. They don't hear, even though they're hearing, they don't hear what it is he's saying. That's why they respond in verse 19. Where is your father? See, they knew who Jesus really was, then they would know who the Father is. Because the only way, as we've seen, to know God the Father is to know Jesus. That's why Jesus, whenever he encounters somebody, his invitation is always to come and to follow me. Because he's the light of the world who makes known God to people in darkness. He gives us a choice. We can continue on our own path, a path marked by darkness, or we can continue with him and walk in the light of life. So what does it mean to follow Jesus and walk in the light? Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Think about what it is that he's saying. This parallels the imagery of what the nation of Israel did in the wilderness. The Israelites followed God as he appeared in the pillar of fire. And when it would move, they would move with him. And when he would stay, they would stay. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's not just saying, oh, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus, and then we do our own thing. No, the ones who follow Jesus, they walk in the light of life. We don't walk in darkness any longer. We have the light of life with us. So what does that mean? It means we attach ourselves to Jesus by faith, and where he goes, we go. When he stays, we stay. It means we study God's word so that we can know who and what he is. It means we believe what he teaches and that we do what he says. It means that when we're uncertain about the future, because tomorrow or next month or a year from now is dark to us, we trust that God's the light of the world, that he sees everything, and we wait patiently for him to lead and to guide. It means when you're normally tempted to look to yourself to define meaning and purpose for your life, you instead turn your eyes Jesus. It means you look to him to bring light to your darkened life, to our darkened world. There's an old hymn that was written, I think, 1922. Oh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And it begins like this. Oh, soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light 
and the darkness you see. But there's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim and the light of his glory and grace. This morning, let me encourage you. Look to the light of the world and trust that he will be all that you need. Let's pray.